This week on The Zone of Truth, Griff and I chat about our morning at the Columbus Oddities and Curiosities Expo, bring on Tim to discuss his character for Speak With Plants, and of course, answer some listener questions. I'm your host, Steve, in the studio with your team and my co-host, Griffin. Roll a will save. You're in The Zone of Truth. And we're back. Oh, we're back, baby. We are back. We had quite a morning. Yeah. Which very interesting. Gonna get into because what an event we just attended. Coming hot off that. I had fun. Yeah. We bought a lot of things. Yeah, an unreasonable amount of things. (laughs) I got one picture from you guys and Mm -hmm. uh, gotta say, I'm curious to see what other things you picked up. Because that was bizarre. Um, Yeah. Pretty uh pretty wild pretty lot of stuff um let's just go ahead and introduce him you already heard his voice been on this show a whole bunch of times and soon to be permanent member of the speak with plants podcast behind the patreon feed tim welcome to the show glad to have you thank you it's good to be here again i always love doing it so thanks for inviting me on i can't wait to talk about my character and yeah get into what you guys have been talking about too absolutely now I don't know basically anything about your character. I see that you filled in my little agenda here, but I haven't read it yet. So I'm very excited considering that we're about to play together in about a week. Yeah. Um, (laughs) But yeah, great to have you here. This is the first time I think that we've recorded remote with you. Of course, we've played a lot of remote games together, but this is the first time committing it to uh, audio record. So glad to have you here, man. This is gonna be fun. Yeah, pretty exciting. Definitely a little bit of getting used to with all the software and the little bits and doodles. But I think it's, you know, next best thing now that I'm up here in Wisconsin away from you guys. So nice. And how's life treating you up there in Wisconsin? It's good. I've started a new job up here uh, relatively recently, and I'm enjoying the heck out of it. I'm making flavors, a food company, which is super fun. So we get to do all sorts of those, uh, you know, for example, those seltzers you guys are constantly drinking. See a lot of that. <laughs> so that's fun. Have you actually worked on any seltzers? Yeah, actually. And can you get us experimental Quite flavors? a few. Yeah. <laughs> what? Any, uh, any notable brands? Yeah. Well, uh, I don't know. I don't know how much I can say. Well, if, we, we right, do, I don't want you to oh, dox yeah, yourself yeah, don't, if you don't, don't want to. Yeah. <laughs> but we do often get like market product just to like experimentally look at them. So I've looked at a few that we haven't quote unquote worked on. Like I've looked at some of the neutral lemonades. I've looked at some of oh. the uh, what I really enjoy are those new simply lemonade flavors. I don't know if you've seen those. Really? Yeah, those are those. really good. Although I did try like a Simply Peach, which is like basically instead of a lemon base, it's a peach base. And they put some flavors on top of that. And uh, not as good. I hate to say it, but the lemonade's great. I think peach is like, peach has slept on one of the harder flavors to like actually do right. I've had a lot of peach products recently. I actually liked the new vodka White Claws. So White Claw yeah. put out a vodka mm-hmm. seltzer pack too. And their peach flavor in that pack's pretty good. But uh, yeah. yeah, I've had some peach gone wrong pretty frequently. Yeah, I think the last one, I've actually got one in front of me right now. The Beast Unleashed, the monster, the peach ones were pretty good. I remember those. 
But besides that, yeah, we have had a couple misses lately. I'm really excited to try these Simplys out, though, Tim, because I've seen those at the grocery store. Honestly, you know, full disclosure, I, I usually have a little bit of a difficulty with some of those lemonade packs because it's just a lot of tartness, a lot, yeah, of, yeah, a lot of acid when you're burning through a whole pack. So I, if you say that they work, I'm excited. Yeah, definitely. A lot of them, I think, depending on how much like lemon juice you put in there, you can get sometimes like tons of acid. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, the that lemon flavor, if it's bad, I think it's real bad. Like mm -hmm. it's like drinking it's like gym you know, those little plastic yeah so anyways yeah it, it's been fun uh talking about those and listening to what you guys think on the air <laughs> hell yeah well how about this let's go around the table and talk a little bit about some of the cool stuff that we've been into lately we're gonna conclude this little segment here with a little discussion about the oddities and curiosities expo because we have so much to talk about there but just first of all, I'm going to kick it to Griff first. Griff, what have you been into lately? So my Steam Deck finally came in, uh, and I've been playing Monster Crown uh, a ton on that, uh, which, you know, it, it's got a little bit of glitchiness to it. It's it's like a fairly new Pokemon-style game, but I've been absolutely loving it. It's got, like, a strange level cap system. The breeding system is really cool because it, like, actually combines the monsters and that kind of thing. So I've been playing a lot of that. Uh, Haley got me hooked on and we finished, uh, I think it's a Disney Plus series. It's called Amphibia. Hmm. And it's about this girl that gets like transported to another world. Like she gets isekai'd to uh, basically this, this world where like all of the sentient people are like frogs or toads or salamanders and that kind of stuff uh, called Amphibia. And she like goes on adventures with them and she's like trying to get back to her world. And, you know, later you find out like some of her friends ended up getting like transported to the world as well. And like season three is all like them making it back. But she like brings the the family of frogs that she had been staying with the whole adventure back to like L.A. <laughs> so it's it's a pretty fun, uh, you know, it's it's a kid's animation, but it, it's I think it's it's got uh, some of the people that worked on Gravity Falls, which is another just really prolific Disney um, Disney animation uh, work on it, and it's got a kind of similar animation style to that. Um, so that's a show I would definitely recommend. Oh, that's cool! It's on Disney Plus. Yeah, it's on Disney Plus. And then beyond that, Haley and I recently just did like an ice cream swap out of nowhere I was at this uh, I don't know if anyone any of you have been to these like fresh time markets or how like well distributed they are but it's like the Myers version of Whole Foods it's kind of like a Trader Joe's Whole Foods but it's got some normal stuff because it's Meyer, and Meyer is like a pretty common in Michigan so I was able to find this Superman ice cream that is like Haley's favorite ice cream from childhood and she hasn't had in the longest time because it's like a Michigan exclusive ice cream that was made like on accident by some creamery during prohibition. And it's like, so it's like, it's this, what? like I tried it, I tried it to be nice. And I was like, this is weird. Fighting ice cream. Like, <laughs> it's like, it's supposed to be like vanilla and some kind of like the, the blue that it's, it's called Superman because it's like yellowy, white, red, and blue. So it's like the Superman yeah. colors. And like it's supposed to be like vanilla bean is the like yellowish color. 
And then the red is, I think, like black cherry. But the blue is like a secret that everyone that makes their Superman doesn't say mm. what their blue the blue is like a secret and mm. i'll tell you what it's not like it's not any sort of blueberry or any sort of like blue flavor <laughs> it does not taste blue and that's the mistake flavor that's like the flavor that was like you know this creamery during prohibition made this flavor and they're like oh i don't really know what this is and then like people loved it so they they slap on a mystery you know it's they, yep, i mean the, this knows. this place does this place does like literally on their official website because Haley went to look for what the blue was and they were like the blue is the mystery flavor <laughs> um so i found that for her and then because that's her favorite ice cream and then she surprised me on friday and took me to a mexican ice cream place because my favorite ice cream flavor is mamey which they don't do and it's it's like a fruit that's it's a I think the fruit is officially from Cuba but it's like it's in some of like central south america and it's just this delicious fruit makes like insanely good ice cream and I had had it at a mexican ice cream place from my hometown that's like the biggest ice cream place in in Kennett Square and couldn't find it since and she was like, oh, they have it here if you want to go. And I was like, mm. fuck yeah, that's the best ice cream I have ever had. And it tasted on point. I was so pleased. Oh, that's amazing. Because it's like, I, I go in and I'm worried, right? I go in, I see the I see the Mame ice cream. And normally the place I would go back home, it's like pinkish in color. And this was like fairly orange. Mm. Like a couple steps off of like the mango color and i was like you know i haven't bought a mamey i don't know what it actually looks like on the inside (laughs) so i'm like which one's right (laughs) but uh but yeah it was delicious so we did a little ice cream exchange hell yeah that's lovely i'm glad to hear that um i'll go i got a couple things that i want to chat about and we'll let tim go before we hop into oddies and curiosities i and and, you know it's fortuitous that we have tim on this episode tim is uh you know He's gotten me into a whole lot of different pop culture things, but Tim is the guy that introduced me to anime. Oh, yeah. And <laughs> I have been burning through anime lately. I don't have time or anime and anime related things. I don't have time to hit it all. Like I watched all of Blue Lock. Fucking fabulous. So good. You know, I'll, I'll talk about Blue Lock in the Discord sometime. I read through the manga. All you need is kill. I'm reading through Battle Royale right now. But what I really want to talk about is Attack on Titan, which is one of the first shows that Tim and I watched. Um, We watched the first season, maybe two together. And then when we, you know, went our separate ways from living together, I kept watching it weekly. I got into partway through the fourth season and then stopped because I was just very confused. And I was starting to get some advertisements that the series was wrapping up this year. So I was like, you know what? I had so much fun in early Attack on Titan that I bet I'd like the finale, but I'm going to go back and rewatch a good chunk of it to try and get me there. So I started at the beginning of season three, watched it through, and then got caught up to where they are today. And I just got to say, the way to watch this show is definitely binge watching it. Doing it week by week, I was losing all sorts of stuff. But watching it in this different way and just zooming right through it, I got to say, I can't remember the last time that I found a show that I felt like was so tailor-made for me. This show 
is so fucking good. The final season has been incredible so far. I think there's just one more big old episode that's going to drop at the end of the year. But it is really something else. There's storytelling and character development that I feel like I just have not seen in other shows or movies. And I'm not going to spoil anything. I'm just going to talk at a very high level about how the show is structured and what makes me enjoy the last season so much. The first three seasons are small er scale and they come to a relatively solid conclusion. Obviously, there's still a lot of questions that need to be answered and room to explore the world, but you could conceivably watch the first three seasons and feel satisfied with that ending. It's kind of like, I think, if you listen to HLP through the end of book three, like you have this big bad guy of uh, who's the bad guy? Vrood. You have all these different storylines wrapping up. Ikmer becomes the prince of the wolves and it's like, okay, there's more to go, but there's some satisfying conclusions there. And then the rest of it is kind of like something else. But I'm kind of going off on a tangent here. The final season, there's a little bit of a time skip. There's some perspective changes. A lot of the characters that you've been following across those first three seasons have gone through some very substantial character growth. And that final season is so bleak and so violent and so gory. Um, It's so good. I, I just can't recommend it enough. I truly love it. I cannot wait until the final episode drops. That penultimate episode has a moment that had me just sobbing in my apartment by myself. And that's not that's not hyperbolic. I truly was like a tear ridden mess. It's such a good show. I really love it. But I got to kick it to Tim. Tim, what you been into lately, man? Man, I might be into uh, catching up on Attack on Titan soon. I'll tell you that. That sounds great. I would highly suggest just starting at the beginning of season three and going from there if you were relatively caught up or whatever. Yeah, yeah. No, I think I I am caught up on season one and two. I'll watch a recap. But anyways, I'll definitely have to do that. I've been reading a lot. I got that Marvel Unlimited subscription like last year. And I started reading because I love X-Men, started reading like all the X-Men in chronological order, not every single series, but kind of the the main ones. So I could catch up on some of the classic stories, which I had never done with Chris Claremont as the writer. And then all the way up through the 90s, I hit 2008, 2009, which is around where the storyline Secret Invasion comes in as part of the greater Marvel, like, uh, I guess, what do you call those events, I, I guess? So that was happening mm-hmm. around there. And it was interesting timing because Secret Invasion is getting a TV show, I think, coming out in the summer. And they had it. Yeah, that's it. soon, I think. Yeah. So it was kind of it was kind of fun because they, they had showed the trailer and then I was reading through all of the Secret Invasion storylines, which are are really fun. Basically, what happens in the comics is that the scrolls, which are a shape-shifting race, they have a so I think if I remember right, something happened to their home planet. And so they're basically drifting a bit and they have this religious sect that believes that earth is like the destined next home of the scrolls and so for years they had been planting both secret agents i guess that are shape-shifted and taking the lives of humans some of them just regular people and then also some sleeper agents that didn't even really know that they were scrolls and had been kind of like mind wiped and replaced their psyche with like that of one of the superheroes 
So the whole event starts out and like you find out that, you know, this is spoilers for Secret Invasion. It's not going to happen in the TV show. But you find out that Electra was like a scroll. And then everybody's like, oh, shit. How many of the rest of us are scrolls? Has there already been an invasion? We don't even know it. Am and, I a scroll? Yeah, am I a scroll? Yeah. So there's all this like paranoia and kind of like investigation, a lot of mistrust, which is how the screw take apart the Avengers, take apart like the major powers that would be defending Earth. And it's really fun because as a reader, you're like trying to figure out who's a scroll and who's not and who knows they're a scroll, et cetera, et cetera. And they play with some other ideas in there, like Iron Man, who kind of has a lot of his Stark tech throughout the defense system of S.H.I.E.L.D. and everything defending Earth. He gets hacked. And so like a lot of the defense systems go down. And because of this, like he takes a lot of the blame for the invasion. And so then after the invasion, Norman Osborn gets the final kill on like the scroll queen. And then she ends up or he ends up getting like a whole bunch of good press. And yes, this is the Norman Osborn from Spider-Man who plays the Green Goblin just like takes over S.H.I.E.L.D. basically and like kind of becomes like the next Tony Stark for a while. Except all of his superheroes are evil and it's really, really cool. So I pretty much was, (laughs) I'm excited about it. That's why I'm like summarizing it, but Mm -hmm. it's a really interesting story and I can't wait to see how that changes a little later on. Didn't they announce 2024's Avengers is going to be Secret Wars? Uh, I I, I thought that was the show. show There's There's definitely the show that is... Like they have one of the new Avengers that's about yes, but they announced, they announced two. A, in uh, they have announced movies. a Thunderbolts movie, which is originally Norman Osborn's like team of criminals that he turns into superheroes. But they're clearly going a different direction with the Thunderbolts. And you know, I haven't read much of the Avengers comics besides Secret Invasion, so I could be, you know, a little fuzzy on some details. Ooh, there we go. Okay. So, so yeah. Oh, no, 2026. Right. So, it's like way in the future. So, I have scrolled past about 12 different (laughs) Avengers tie in movies to get to Avengers The Kang Dynasty, which is May 2nd, 2025, and then Avengers Secret Wars, which is 2026. Yeah. All right. Who knows? I didn't didn't know know if that was about the scroll as well or not. Mm -hmm. It was funny when I saw this on the agenda. Tim, I was like, oh shit, I didn't realize this series came yeah, out. Yeah, no, that was a note <laughs> for myself. <laughs> yeah, read the No, you're reading the comics, yeah. Yeah, so also X-Men, nice. by the way, like Chris Claremont X-Men, Storm's stories in particular, absolutely fantastic. Do not regret a minute of reading those stories. I recommend it. Rock and roll, man. Well, thanks for sharing. Let's talk for a moment about the Oddities and Curiosities Expo. Not just because it's not like we're killing time or anything just talking about something fun that we did but i genuinely think there's a lot of stuff in the oddities and curiosities expo that listeners of this podcast would enjoy and also this is a traveling show that hits basically every major city in the u.s so there's a lot of upcoming dates that if people wanted to go to i would highly suggest you should i'm gonna read a little bit of copy from their website because if i didn't read website copy this wouldn't be an episode of zone of truth um But then we'll kind of talk about what's going on here. So let me set the stage here. The Oddities and Curiosities Expo showcases hand-selected vendors, dealers, artists, and small businesses from all over the country with all things weird. You'll find items such as taxidermy, preserved specimens, original artwork, horror-slash-Halloween-inspired pieces, antiques, handcrafted oddities, quack medical devices, creepy clothing, odd jewelry, animal skulls and bones, 
funeral collectibles, and much more. We truly have something weird for everyone at our shows. All items you see at our shows are legal to own and sustainably sourced. Yeah, absolutely accurate. We saw all of that stuff there. What a time. I mean, you could buy a taxidermy giraffe. Yeah, like... It was there for $7,500. Yeah. It, it was, was like huge. 13 feet long. It was huge. <laughs> Where would I put this? Yeah, so it was at the Expo Center downtown in Columbus, a bunch of different vendor stalls. It was absolutely huge. It was packed with people, all sorts of crazy stuff there. We bought a whole bunch of really cool shit. There was cool merch. There was sideshow stuff. There was so much stuff that we didn't even get to. It was awesome. Yeah, there was, uh, geez, I, you know, it's hard to count, but it seems like there were at least over a hundred booths there. Yeah. I think maybe the best way to give an idea of like what cool stuff was there just is to like kind of run down what we bought because it was kind of a, a cool variety. So if you guys remember, I had this like woods pagan shaman dress up for the Nordic Fest that I planned to take to future Ren fairs, but I bought this like big staff that has like a fox skull on the top of it and like a femur bone attached to it to complement that. Chris got this like in's mouth pub t-shirt and mug. I know you and Haley bought a ton of cool shit too. And then something really fun that we got to talk about (laughs) that's Tim related. Yeah, Yeah, we got uh, what we want Tim to wear in our wedding. (laughs) (laughs) I don't have to pick an outfit. You guys nailed it. Dude, this thing, so we're, we're walking by and, and it's like in the back of a vendor. Like it's not even like on display when you go to the front and like talk to the people there. It's around the side. And like, I just see this robe and I'm like, holy shit. Like that looks legit. Hold on. And so I'm like feeling it. It's like thick, legit. I mean, it's like not a costume piece. Mm hmm. And I'm looking at it. I'm like, oh, Jesus, Steve, I think that might like, like, because you guys are roughly the same size. Mm -hmm. So I was like, I think that might like, if you try that on and that fits you, that might be something that we could get Tim to wear for for the wedding. Fit perfectly. It's this heavy red robe with this giant gold filigree all over it. Like the shoulders have those like tassels, like the, geez, like the marching band conductor or whatever. Yep. So we, we looked it up and it came from this company that was active from like in Columbus. It was active from the thirties to the sixties. So it's at minimum, you know, 60 years old. Right. Mm -hmm. And the company was known for two things. They made official like military garb. And they made secret society. Oh, I have an idea which one this is. So this is, so this is like, this is like a robe from either like the Knights of Columbus, maybe, or like the Freemasons, like something like that. And it's got like a title. Senior Warden. Senior Warden. But it's just the coolest looking thing. And Haley's like, it's like, it's, it's just missing a button. Like I can fix that. And like. There's really nothing else to fix on it. It's in like great condition, but you know, we're passing by it and this is like the second booth. We're in the expo for it's no like, more than five. Minutes. It's like 1130 in the morning, like convention has been open for an hour and I, you know, I'm looking at the next booth and I see like three people come up to this thing and they're like touching it and like wanting it. And I'm like, 
this is gonna be gone <laughs> if I don't turn around and buy it right now. So I did. <laughs> we grabbed it. It's like I even tried it on. It fits me. Yeah. It's like a one size fits all <laughs> type deal, but like, man, is it cool. Yeah. I mean it's it's probably I think it's the most legit thing that we bought today, just in the sense that it's like I saw nothing else like that at the entire, the rest of the oddities thing. I didn't see anything like this. You couldn't go three booths without like a taxidermy something or whatever, but like piles of skulls. Yeah. Like skulls everywhere. But like these like unique items, you had, to, you had to go to like places that were called like up in the attic or whatever to find these like crazy old knickknacks or robes or whatever. So that, that was definitely my favorite buy, but like, there were really cool, like, leather crafters there. Like, Haley got bracers there that look like they're made of wood. Oh, sweet. Mm -hmm. And somebody, like, engraved, like, a wood grain into the leather and, like, shadow uh, stained it and stuff. So it, like, looks like wood is a leather bracer. There were, like, pig masks from Saw, <laughs> but made out of, made out of like, real, real leather. Pig. It was crazy. Oh, 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 we have to talk about there was a oversized gallon quantity flask you could fit a full gallon of liquid in this flask mm -hmm. that came with a sling and the sling looked like the necronomicon with like a strap so you wear it over your shoulder and you can carry a gallon of liquor in like this like disgusting like skin suit <laughs> with like eyeballs peeking yeah, like eyes and teeth. oh god oh boy yeah it was wild you were walking past like Really cool artwork, awesome apparel. Yeah, stuff like the robe that's from ancient times, essentially. Like H awesome. Haley got like bugs, like they they did the you know the pinned bugs and stuff. But they had like all kinds. She got like a stag beetle and a and like this really pretty like moth that has like the eyes on it. So there was pretty much anything your weird heart desired there. Yeah. Uh, the preserved specimens is like, <laughs> that's like standing out to me. Did, did you see anything weird in a jar? Oh, there were, oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. a cat's oh. head. Oh, that was probably the most the unsettling oh, one yeah. to me. Yeah. Like in a little jar, it was just a cat head. Um, ooh. Pretty much any small animal. Lots of like snakes, like in a formaldehyde solution in a mason jar. I really liked um, the octopi. Octopi, the, yeah. Because they, they did like, they put them in like a globe, but like you really got like the tentacles wrapping around the globe. Mm -hmm. I saw a baby lamb. That was also a little oh, unsettling. That. that one was fully taxidermy though. That wasn't that wasn't a specimen. Mm -hmm. Uh, but it was like it's taxidermy to be like laying in like the little I, don't like it yeah i didn't like that that much uh there were a bunch of puffer fish like mm -hmm. puffer fish but they put like they had them in that puffed position oh they put like little top hats and shit on them <laughs> they're ridiculous yeah i mean there were like in terms of like the wet specimens it was a lot of amphibians and reptiles and that kind of thing because I think they work really well with that technique where you apply the chemical and it makes their like flesh translucent and then you dye the bones or whatever. Mm -hmm. So there were a couple of those, but there were there was a decent amount of like I think I saw a piglet somewhere. Mm. Like you could get a piglet in a jar. There's all kinds of shit. Yeah, it was 10 bucks to get in and I feel like if you didn't buy anything just to go around and look at things and just be like, "Wow, I've never seen that before" or "Wow, that's terrifying." Or like, wow, those are some strange people. Yeah, the people watching was people watching was A plus. Good. Oh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's 10 bucks well spent if even if you don't take anything away. Like it was 
a blast. We had so much fun. We're going back next year, clearly. And if it, hey, if it rolls for your city, you should check it out. But we're about uh, half an hour deep in this program, and we haven't talked about Tim's Speak With Plants character yet, so we absolutely need to do that. Tim, I have a whole bunch of different questions for you. I want to find out everything about this character that you're able to share and that, you know, don't reveal anything that's going to be a surprise or you don't want the listening audience or your fellow players to know. But let's start easy, okay? What's your character's name? My character's name is Hector. That is spelled like the unit of measurement. Like the (laughs) land parcel? Yes, exactly. (laughs) You know, it was very agriculture, you know, uh, Mm. or agricultural influenced, so... Hector Velute. Velute is uh, one of the mother sauces that uh, you use to make different French dishes. Ooh. So uh, that'll come into play as I explain what uh, who my character is. But yeah, his name's Hector Velute. Perfect. I'm going to jump down a question. I want to ask your ancestry and then we'll go back to appearance. So let's start with ancestry. What are we working with here? So I I was told that we could pick any plant but at the time, there was only two plants available, the Leshy and the Konrasu. But I knew the Goran was coming out in, uh, in Possible Lands. Of course, Goran is not a uh, ancestry that's new to Pathfinder. It was in Pathfinder First Edition, which I, I played a brief character that was a Goran there. It was also in Starfinder. So I was really excited to pick the Goran as my ancestry. And uh, I, I think... Just to give some explanation, what makes the Goran unique, they're like a humanoid appearing race. They have the plant trait, but uh, they were created 4,000 years ago by a druid named Goran, who created them for Nex, the powerful arch wizard down in the Impossible Lands, as a food source. And the idea was that this food source would be adaptable to all sorts of different changes and would, would last forever as a source of food. The problem was... Goran eventually died, and this ancestry morphed from this edible to a humanoid-looking thing because it was trying to adapt to survive, essentially. And so, as a defense mechanism, it started looking more and more like a human. And that's why the Gorans today look like people, but they maintain their deliciousness, which was something that uh, was obviously (laughs) really fun to play around with. So in this case, Hector Velute, he has gravy smelling blood. And so when he <laughs> when he bleeds, he's gonna you just get that waft of like delicious butter and pepper and onion and garlic that's gonna be irresistible to any monster trying to trying to eat him. Bleeds <laughs> gravy. Wow. There's a lot about your character that I didn't know. I definitely did not know that fact. That is so good and so funny. What is the heritage that you picked? I picked the Thorn Rose heritage. I think this is something that fits a character who's constantly wanting to be eaten. Um, (laughs) And uh, Thorn Roses have the ability to basically occasionally like use their thorns as a reaction when they get attacked they can like do a little bit of damage and then they have some further on they have some other abilities that play into that so i really a lot of my build plays into the thorn theme i'll be picking up a lot of those types of abilities sure and now that we've got the ancestry and heritage did you want to touch on appearance for a moment here what should people picture in their head when your character comes walking around yeah well if if you just google what gorns look like you get an idea of their general appearance but uh, this particular one 
has a thin, graceful build to him. He's verdant green, like that dark green stem-like appearance. But then their face is always like a petal-type uh, look. And so I chose the color white as like his default is like the, like a white rose, like somewhat delicate and I imagine will contrast well with his, uh, you know, getting blood splashed on it and stuff like that. That's what I imagine. Ooh. Yeah. I love it. All right. We got a lockdown. Let's get B and C here. I want background and then let's talk class. I chose the background that was specific to Iron Fang Invasion called World Weary, which because he's a Gorn, he... Basically, he reincarnates every 20 years, but uh, he's lived a long time in this country of Nirmathas, so I thought it was fitting, and I played a lot of his backstory into him being a little bit sick of the constant invasion from Multhoon, to put it short. Mm. All right. Hit me with the C. What do we got for a class? All right. Well, to explain here, you guys had to kind of establish your characters a little bit, at least the classes you want to play. And I was trying to find out like, okay, Lanish here, what class should I choose? I settled on the rogue. And then I had the idea that I would play the build that 2E enables that 1E really liked to push in their adventure paths, which is the rogue cleric. You see this a lot because I think Paizo thinks, okay, this cultist, he follows a religion, and but then he's also like a bad guy. So we'll give him like one level of rogue. You know, they they love to do that. He's yeah. a sneaky little fuck. <laughs> Put yeah. that in there. You see this all the time in the adventures where it's like, okay, he's got a couple levels in cleric, a couple levels in rogue, so just like a shitty channel and a shitty sneak attack. There's no synergy. Kind of There's like, what? to do this. Yeah. <laughs> It happened all the time in the older APs too, because they didn't have like those those kind of options, like right. the cultist war priest or any of that stuff. That's like, hey, we built this mm-hmm. to actually do the Paizo special, <laughs> so it works. Like they didn't have any of those options that are just like, yeah, cleric it's, three, it's rogue constant. four. <laughs> like that character's <laughs> not going to get fucked by a party of level sevens. <laughs> a big huge sword and and do sneak attack and it's like there's there's no even there's not even any allies in the battle (laughs) super weird but i love it yeah so we call it the paizo classic or the paizo special and that's what i've chosen so that is going to be base class rogue free archetype cleric then yeah that's right i love that so much and Truthfully, even if it's just like an inside joke for us, like I think that's so fun. <laughs> I'm so glad you're doing that. <laughs> well, it's yeah. a fun archetype too because you get to get all the skills of a rogue, uh, and then you get a lot of like cleric flexibility, right? A lot of their spells um, are very good as scrolls or wands, and so I, I think that's like quite a legitimate way to play in second edition. We'll see. I might die. Yeah, could happen. Yeah. Divine list is full of buffs. Mm-hmm. So I think that rounds out the party. Then we have your rogue cleric. We have Chris's um, sorcerer. We have Griff locking down the gunslinger. And then I'm bringing it up with the monk. That is your speak with plants party. Uh, Tim, at this point, I want to transition a little bit into some things that maybe are a little bit more amorphous, not necessarily tied to mechanics. Um, but Let's talk about this character's personality. How do you intend to act as this character? So uh, Hector is a little unique because of his age, um, but he's also quite uh, quite alone. 
um, once to has trouble connecting with them. I think that's because ultimately he's a little narcissistic uh, and doesn't think very highly of most of the quote unquote fleshies that are walking around. And uh, he's very reverent and sort of serious as well. So I think that makes him really difficult as a personality. But I hope that he bonds well with the party because uh, he, he is a little bit of a lonely guy. So that's uh, or lonely Goran. I've decided to go with a sort of posh transatlantic accent. We'll see how that goes. It's kind of inspired by his his goals in the AP, which is to unify Nirmathos. I think that's my overarching theme with this character so far. He wants to get involved in politics and appeal to a lot of people. So he thinks this this posh voice is going to help him because Gorin's are very adaptable. They can kind of change change themselves however they like. So, oh, so that's an interesting wrinkle to that. So obviously, you as a player are making a deliberate choice with the voice, but you're also positing that the character has adapted this voice specifically because like as a means yeah, to an end. Yeah. It's like it's like because the transatlantic accent wasn't a real accent, it's what actors put on so that they could be popular in the United exactly. States and in yeah. Britain. Yeah. That's yeah that is fascinating. Uh, it's nice because the transatlantic accent's too. not real, so nobody can come at me with it with it not being authentic. So <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but I like that Gorns. I mean, they can change their appearance and stuff too. Um, so, you know, why not their voice? I thought, yeah. I think that makes total sense. It looks like you got a couple more notes here under personality. You want to hit them? Yeah, I cast my character as C-3PO meets Thane from Mass Effect. So just imagine that voiced and motion capped by Julie Andrews. Julie Andrews, what's she done? I got to... She's done The Sound of Music and uh, a lot of older films oh okay interesting yeah of course i I can't match the pitch but i'll try my best Mm, interesting mary poppins yep go figure mary poppins yeah from mary poppins to minions the rise of Gru. (laughs) go figure and everywhere in between (laughs) most known for the princess diaries (laughs) wait she was in uh uh, sound of music, right? Yes, I yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's, that's what that's she's the first one. That Mary Poppins okay. are probably like her, you know, her most popular young roles. Yeah, and then I know. Well, I think I'll I'll leave sort of the backstory. I, I wrote a little bit here, but I think I'll leave that for you guys to listen to. Sure. When we start the podcast, but yeah, I wanted to mention that he is a thief rogue. So, for those of you who are interested in his selected whatever that's called, his racket. Mm-hmm. Um, he'll be doing that. But he's not a thief, so don't get the wrong idea. He just took the racket. He's just stealing hearts, baby. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> he's stealing hearts. All right, so we kind of have talked about the character's personality and that type of stuff. Let's talk about how you want to behave in game and in combat. So what role are you looking to fill? We've got... The specific type of monk that I'm looking to play is to lock people down with grapples, do combat maneuvers. Griff, I believe you're ranged DPS. Mm-hmm. We have Chris doing some like cool spell stuff. Where do you fit in mechanically? There was two roles I was looking to fill. One is melee damage to take advantage of your character, Steve, mm-hmm. doing grapples and combat maneuvers. I think the Thief Rogue plays nicely into that just because... 
Dexterity allows you to do typically more like agile weapons. And if you're in a situation where the boss is locked down, is flat footed, you don't need to do anything but stand and bang. I think having like an agile thief rogue is the perfect, the perfect way to do a lot of damage. And then the second is providing some utility and support, both with the cleric archetype, as I mentioned, scrolls and wands, emergency healing, buffs, etc., and the skills that the rogue offers. So I can play around like I, I ended up statting out heavy into wisdom and intelligence. And basically the thief rogue means you don't have to do anything about strength. So you can kind of be like, OK, I'll do dexterity, those two mental scores and constitution. And then now you've got a lot of ways to play with the skills. So we're lacking in arcana. I'll bump up my arcana. We're lacking in, you know, I doubt we're lacking in nature, but let's say we are. I could I could go down that route. Or, you know, or medicine or something like that. Those are the roles I'm looking to fill. And I think in combat, I'll be playing really defensive, highly mobile, and then going in and and doing a lot of damage to take advantage of some of the control that your character will be doing. I hope. (laughs) I hope to. Yes, that's kind of the intention of my character. When I came into this, I said I want to do a whole lot of combat maneuvers, essentially being like the melee debuffer which I think is going to be kind of fun. And that's going to, well, in theory, that should synergize really well with somebody that can pretty consistently get off sneak attack and that kind of stuff when I'm doing these things. Yeah, you love to see a sneak attack crit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's amazing. I was a wizard in a party with a thief rogue and a monk that was like all about grappling Mm -hmm. and i it does work let me tell you (laughs) (laughs) i hope it does here but yeah it it definitely does i love it i can't wait to get the imagery of a big old pine tree running up hugging somebody so they can't move and then this gravy smelling motherfucker running up and stabbing (laughs) him a bunch of times in the gut (laughs) i'm looking forward to it last thing he'll smell On tonight's news. <laughs> Murder? That's so fun. I can't wait. This is shaping up to be a pretty, in my mind, unique and interesting party. I think it's going to oh, be Oh, yeah. Awesome. Yeah, it's <laughs> definitely not the standard party. No, it is not. If you think about, like, I mean, a gunslinger already makes it kind of like definitely Pathfinder, right? Mm-hmm. Like, Oh, yeah. Your sorcerer is always second to a wizard when you think about, like, a traditional D&D party and yep, like sure. the rogue is probably in there but like a monk not as not like, as much not, not as like the main frontliner not usually no and that's uh, that's why I'm taking that mountain stance because I'm definitely going to be you know in addition to doing all of my debuffs and stuff probably soaking some damage too I mean I, I think like this is going to lead us to you know we have kind of like a divine secondary caster in mm-hmm. in Tim and then we have a primal primary caster yeah. in Chris, which makes us weirdly nature forward, even though we don't have a druid or a ranger or anything. Right, yeah. That's what I think is funny. Like, none of us are really playing that, except maybe Chris, none of us are really playing that, like, nature-y class. Mm-hmm. Yeah, true. Which maybe, yeah. maybe, maybe... Well, none of us are playing the- that nature class in a uh, concept show where we're all playing plants. Right, I right. Think, and, <laughs> and in like the AP where Ultimate Wilderness came out to support yeah. it. Like, so I think that's kind of funny, but at the end of the day, I almost think if one of us had taken like a super nature forward class, 
it kind of ostracizes our characters like even further. Yeah, <laughs> like we're already all fucking plants. <laughs> yeah, like, like, how, how are we going to get the fleshies to trust us if we're like three druids? <laughs> I also subscribe to the theory too that like I don't like when people super tailor make their character concepts mechanically to the AP. It seems kind of cheesy, like. I don't know what's a what's a good example of this. Like I told you, I I even asked you guys like, hey, please at least for the start of this campaign, don't play a paladin in Carrying Crown. Exactly, it's just gonna be yes. like, oh yeah, that's a cool concept for later. But like, like if one of you dies, but like right now, there's <laughs> I can't balance this stuff around a paladin. <laughs> right, right. It's just like yeah, I, I don't I don't like when you have people kind of cheesing it like that. So this is a unique party. It's an interesting party and. uh We'll see how it plays. Uh, Tim, we got a whole bunch of questions for you from our listeners. Is there anything that you wanted to say on the topic of Hector? Run me through that last name again. It's Hector... Velute. Velute, yes. Is there anything else that you wanted to share with the people at home before we move into those questions? No, I don't think so. I I guess uh, one last thing is that we're starting this adventure at the local market fest and he trying to get involved in politics very difficult for a plant person also has 10 charisma so but uh he wants to get involved so he's volunteering at the market festival as you know someone who can help out with little errands and things so i'm looking forward to that as a lead-in i guess to kick off the ap it should be fun that's fabulous all right we are going to move into the listener question segment now. So this first one comes from Newt. Tim, why are you so pretty? Yeah. I don't know exactly where he's going with this. Maybe this, he's asking for like how you do your facial hair or if you have like some skincare routines or a special type of shampoo you use or just maybe in general, like maybe it's good genetics. I, well, up? I thought about this question a lot and I ended up I ended yeah, up sure. writing me, me too. a lot, taking a lot of pictures. So... Mm-hmm. Basically, forming a new blog. It's going to be a lifestyle blog about me. And we'll look out for that coming out soon. And uh, you can answer that question, Newt, for yourself when you read all my non existent workout and skincare routine. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. All right. So, this isn't a Tim specific question. I don't know if you have one of these, Griffin. I sort of have one but this one from our good buddy eric at 10 lawn gnomes question what's your favorite non-pun plant joke i'm always a fa- uh, a, a fan of the let isn't i mean this kind of toes the line of whether this is a joke or not but the let's make like a tree and leave is a good way to exit a situation but it's i also um Right, but then the second half of this, I think this is Brooks that, that, that said this at some point. Um, there was a, it's like, how about you make like a tree and leave? And then at one point, I think I heard him say, or maybe it was somebody else completely, and I just attributed it to Brooks. Just, how about you make like a tree and fuck off? Oh, uh, yeah, that's, that's from a movie. Oh, okay. <laughs> how about you make like a tree and fuck off? So I gotta, I gotta get a kick out of that. Griff, do you have one? I mean, I think the best running joke about plants is the is the piss joke yeah. that we made on HLP mm-hmm. organically, you know? There's a, a good play on that joke in an upcoming HLP episode that we've recorded that we haven't released yeah, yeah. yet. I, I, think, I think it's the joke that keeps on giving. I don't want to take it to speak with plants, but 
No. I think in the in the confines of HLP, it is a very funny recurring joke regarding plants. Oh, but like an actual, just like a, a joke joke. I mean, that's tough. I, I, one that's not a pun for plants is kind of tough. I, all plant jokes are puns. It's so difficult. Yeah. Well, while, while you're thinking of it, Griff, Tim, did you come prepare with something here? Uh, not anything good. I just started replacing characters and other jokes okay, with so plants. Got. Uh, you know, the, the classic, why did the plant cross the road? didn't it's just the plant can't move it doesn't work steve there's no <laughs> non-bun joke i don't know i thought that was pretty good that's a good anti-joke <laughs> anti-joke yeah for sure. yeah yeah there's plenty of plant-based anti-jokes <laughs> mm-hmm. i was like what's a plant's favorite movie and i was like trying to make something work little shop of horrors i guess ah uh, that's not a joke yeah it's a musical yeah but i mean i imagine part of the way of water because they want to get water yeah favorite drink sunny d oh that's okay yeah. I don't hate that. It needs some work to not be a pun and be a joke. It's hard. I'm shocked that it is this difficult to put together a non-pun plant joke. <laughs> it just seems like plants are such an integral part of this world that everybody is aware of, that there would be some decent humor around plants. And it kind of just seems like all of the good plant yeah. jokes are puns. Yeah, I mean, like it's still a pun if you're like, what the gardener used to feed her plants. Sunny tree. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Still a pun. Still a pun. It's too bad. <sighs> Did you get anything, Griff? No, I didn't even. I, yeah. Unless I'm Googling something, I'm not going to find. I mean, I, okay, so is this a pun? Is the knock knock who's there orange? Aren't you glad I didn't say banana? Is that a oh, pun? Oh. Because that's maybe the most classic, like, yeah, fruit joke. Yeah. Is it a pun because it's orange, aren't? Or is that just a rhyme? I, I think I think it falls into pun category for me, to, just because you're using the play on words, I guess. Yeah, um, yeah. But, mm. but I don't know. I'm not a punologist. Fair. Have you guys? Okay, this is a little bit of a tangent. But have you ever been to no, Pandemonium? I think it's called. Or it's a yeah. It's a it's a like contest. A no, it's like something. I think they put on like the radio sometimes, but they have like local shows, and you can go up there. It's kind of like the Moth. If you've ever done that, where you like go up and tell a story, except you go up and you just do like a pun rant and you just like craft an entire pun filled story. And then uh, whoever wins becomes the pun king for that week or that month or whatever. Ooh. Yeah. Pun think, king. You think uh, Newt and our Discord Maybe. is training for this event? I think so. Pundemonium? He's training yeah. to be the pun king. <laughs> Anyways, it's very fun. I went to it once. It was a good time. Just to listen. You yeah, went to it? My friend actually competed. Yeah, yeah. Really? You can just go up there and do it. How'd they do? He did pretty well. He got, there was a Lord of the Rings one. I don't remember fuzzy on the details, but this one person just had a killer mm-hmm. Lord of the Rings pun story. It was amazing. It was really fun. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. What a strange event. <laughs> it's super it like a blast. I recommend if there's one in your local area, check it out. <laughs> wow. Good to know. All right. We have a trio of questions from Jason, and I think we got some good ones here. So a little bit of background on this first one. I think most people probably know this, but there could be some people out there who don't. Tim is running. Let's see myself, Griffin, Brooks, Emily and Chris through Reign of Winter. This is an off pod game and it is a Pathfinder first edition to second edition conversion. We are in the beginning steps of book two currently. Uh, We play biweekly 
And Jason is aware of this and asks, how has the Reign of Winter been going as a PF1 to PF2 conversion? Well, I mean, you guys feel free to, to chime in with your thoughts. I personally have been really enjoying the process because it's something that allows you to sort of halfway do some homebrew in Pathfinder 2nd Edition. Um, and that's, that's really mm -hmm. fun. But it still keeps all the story beats of Reign of Winter. So... My approach has been to kind of, at the beginning, I would say I was converting like characters, kind of how they do it in, at least on when I see people do it in that uh, Discord server, the series of dice space events. You're, yeah, where they kind of like one to one. Yeah, they, they pretty much one to one it. And I feel like that hasn't been working well for balance of the encounters. So I've tried to make them a little tougher, but you know, it's, it's very clear that it's a different system sometimes from the GM perspective okay, where do they have time to like take a rest? Cause they're only level two or whatever. And they don't have like an hour to just kind of chill and heal wounds and stuff like that. So how do you balance encounters around a long dungeon? Those sort of questions have been really interesting. I think it worked out well. I think our first dungeon was really fun. I really enjoyed our, our boss fight, but uh, yeah, converting some of the treasures has also been really enjoyable. So I just liked looking at some of the unique treasures of the AP and trying to figure out what fits in second edition. And I end up usually making something way more powerful, but it doesn't really matter <laughs> at the end of the day. So um, yeah, I think it's been going well. I'm trying to think of what else I wanted to mention on this conversion. Yeah, treasure is probably the most difficult part. And if you're going to be converting to PF2, I think a lot of people give good advice that's like, if you're not beholden to any of the treasure just take all of it out and then like put in put, put in like where treasure should be but then just put in the recommended treasure that they give on the guidelines in the game mastery guide and choose that mm -hmm. go to tailor it to your party and make sure they all have the right striking runes and things like that going into the levels they should be so that's been pretty easy but yeah it's a ton of fun I'd recommend trying it out if you really want to play uh, Pathfinder first edition AP. I think you're doing a great job. It feels Good. like Pathfinder 2nd Edition, which like if I never knew that Reign of Winter was originally a 1st Edition AP, I don't think that the gameplay would indicate to me that there was some sort of conversion or something was off. You definitely have a way of balancing encounters to make it feel like 2nd Edition, whereas like you have a couple gimme encounters, but generally you feel very challenged as a party to work together and really maximize your action economy and resources and you feel challenged but not necessarily like you're going to get tpk'd every encounter I, it generally i feel like that's kind of how pathfinder 2e encounter build is where it's like you kind of have to work together and it is going to be hard like you got to think about it but if you play smart and you know you you're decent yeah. at the game like you can succeed yeah, I think one of the most difficult things about the early book adventures to convert is the fact that, like, in first edition, they utilize so many of the mm -hmm. wear-you-down encounters, mm. and 2E kind of assumes that that's not really a factor. You know, it, it assumes that you can pretty much rest between every encounter. It assumes you can come into almost every encounter at full health. Like, that's the way the creature scaling is mm -hmm. in 2e. And so if you throw something that is a moderate threat at a party that you whittle down like you would in 1e, 
and they don't go into it at full health and they go into it at you know low resources yeah it, it becomes much more than a moderate encounter than it would be on the tin at least so i think it's a bit difficult to balance that what i like about you know tim running rain of winter is that i feel like we've had so many more options to flex our skills in these encounters than sure than i think we would have in 1e and i think it 2e you know as a system kind of helps to flesh that out a little bit more but you know tim's gming has just allowed us to kind of like get out of some stuff diplomatically or you know we we're we're certainly not like as much of a murder hobo party as we might have been in return uh <laughs> so yep. it, it feels like you know that aspect <laughs> of it is rewarded and the you know the boss fights are boss fights i mean like we're we're definitely like having scenarios where I mean, geez, not even the boss fight, like that one troll fight where, like, you Brutal. know, it's just like three people are down. <laughs> the, the, just the fact that, like, with a party of our size, you get half of them down in, like, the first two rounds is, is ridiculous. So, you know, we're, I feel like we're we're having to scramble an adequate amount, which is, is something that I attribute more to 2E than I do to 1E is that kind of like frantic this is a hard combat and there's so many people on the floor type thing but yeah i, I gotta imagine that it's difficult you know i just went through with the with the zombie stuff and you guys in bestow curse it's like even the conversion is like just throw 20 zombies at them and it's like no it's like well that doesn't, no. <laughs> that doesn't work in yeah 2E right yes. <laughs> because like a cr one half zombie cannot hit right. a six level character it doesn't happen <laughs> Yeah, those are not at all the same. I think we talked about this during the game, too, where it's like you have, oh, like for me, it was like there's 15 guards. And if they hear a noise, like they're all going to come running out. It definitely is weird. There was one cinematic moment where, uh, Griff, you're playing a fighter. I'm playing a gunslinger. And the two of us went into a barracks and... uh, It was a massacre. It was a massacre. A crit massacre against people. It was it was a blast. Well, it's been it's been so much fun, like to have your character pick like the sniping duo mm-hmm. with the other like crit heavy character. Cause, right, you know, so you we're just your, passing like damage back you and forth. Like range crit machine and your your melee crit machine is like, you know, obviously great synergy, mm-hmm. but has been has been quite a bit of fun. I think we have in that one a fairly optimized party. I think so. I think so. You know, it's not, it's not like people like, you know, necessarily using the free archetype as like a, let me power game my character. Like I'm not doing like a fighter barbarian or anything, but like, it just feels like with like a bard, a fighter, (laughs) gunslinger, uh, inventor, and a cleric with two companions, (laughs) we got a lot of firepower. Mm -hmm. True. True. I wanted to mention on too on like the the balance of the party and stuff. Something a little unique to the Reign of Winter conversion, I think, is that weaknesses look a lot different in second edition than they do in first edition. So oh, sure. in in first edition, a lot of these creatures have like a vulnerability to fire, which means they're taking fifty percent extra damage. In second edition, they generally convert that as a weakness, which is totally the way you should do it. But uh, the way that looks and how it plays out is totally different because you get rewarded for having like lots of little bits of fire damage in this case against these Mm -hmm. creatures and the vulnerability, it didn't really matter. You were always doing 50% extra. So if you had a D6 
on your weapon, you were doing like a little bit more, but then it feels much more impactful to have like someone throwing alchemist fires or oh, someone yeah, yeah. exploiting vulnerabilities. Because I, I think a fair amount of people probably understand what you're saying, but essentially like in Pathfinder first edition, if you do two points of fire damage and it has the vulnerability, you're essentially doing three. Yeah. And then in second edition, it's usually like weak with a value. So it's, if it's like weakness five or whatever, vulnerable five, or whatever the, the terminology is, if you do that same two points of fire damage, you'll be doing seven points of fire damage. Yeah. So like right. that can, if you just like chip, 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 chip with the little bits of damage that things are vulnerable to, and it's fire because we're in Pathfinder Siberia, right? Like that can be super effective. Yeah, it de- definitely, like, definitely awards persistent. Yeah, but absolutely. but I mean, but I think that's kind of the case across the board. I mean, like you have, and I, I keep going back to zombies because it's the most frequent stuff that we've run. But it's like you got the slashing and the positive weakness and the. With the zombie troop, you got slashing, positive, area of effect, uh, all weaknesses. You can hit them with all three and do like do 30 extra damage, and it's insane. <laughs> and and you could have done three damage if it if it crossed those three types, and you would have done 33 damage. You know, it's like it's craziness like that, that. Yeah. That really like changes how things go when you have a weakness system. Oh, yeah. It can change like a really tough combat into something that's like you know, they're really able to melt the hit points off a character. Um, mm-hmm. But not that I have a problem with it. I think it's super fun. It's just I know with Reign of Winter, it's going to be the entire AP is going to be weaknesses. <laughs> to yeah, fire. it's like, okay, yeah. we're all buying flaming runes. Yeah, like, pretty much. we hit level eight or whatever. Yeah, so that's kind of interesting. The other thing is because you know you're coming into a cold AP, a lot of you guys have, and you can get this much more easily in, in Pathfinder 2nd Edition, in my opinion. You have a cold resistance of some sort and so the environmental parts of the beginning, I don't think feel as impactful. Not that I really enjoy those mechanics too much anyways, but it's much easier in second edition to like come in and be like, okay, I can deal with the cold because I have cold resistance one. <laughs> well, I mean, I picked a, a white furred fox girl with a rifle for personal reasons and it just so yeah. happened. Yeah, happened. just so happened to be that way. The cold resistance. Uh, yeah. All right, we got, we got a couple more questions for you, Tim, and then we got to right. get out of here. Okay. So this next question from Jason, is there a plant that you love to eat that you wouldn't want to do a leshy version of in the game because doing so would anthropomorphize it and make you consider stopping to eat the plant? Yes, that would be the asparagus, and that's because also of veggie tails. I would say <laughs> they already anthropomized it, and I, it just, yeah, just don't want to make a leshy of that. Uh, I, I can't remember the name offhand, but there's like an asparagus-looking race in Starfinder. So there's not a leshy of it, but there's definitely like a people that are basically like walking asparagus stalks. Yeah. Uh, it comes up a few times in the STF podcast, which I got a kick out of. Um, so, yeah, I don't really have one of these. I mean, especially if you look in the like battle zoo, botanical bestiary thing, they take a lot of common vegetables and, and fruits and plants and stuff and turn them into leshies that don't exist in the, the core first party material. And I don't know. It's just like, oh, that's an onion. That's probably my favorite vegetable. It's an onion. I love an onion. It's like, oh, it's an onion last year. That looks kind of cute. That's kind of funny. It's got some cool abilities. That doesn't make me not want to eat the character, you know? Yeah. I want to eat the character or not oh, want to yeah. eat the, the vegetable anymore. Why not both? <laughs> I guess you're right. Yeah. I, I, I can't, I can't imagine anthropomorphizing a, uh, a fruit or vegetable making me not want to eat it, but 
you know. Maybe if I maybe went ahead and made a melon lushy with some big old melons, maybe I want to eat it more. A melon lushy just has big old melons? That's big old melons. Hell yeah. <laughs> maybe do a watermelon lushy next. <laughs> okay. If the adventure were inverted and you had to make a hobgoblin character... And then in parentheses, he asks, do the players know that it's mostly hobgoblins they're fighting this age? Sure hope we do. Jason, you didn't even spoiler that. Like, I mean, we we know. We oh, all did, know. He did spoiler in the Discord. I think he Oh, he did. I, okay, I just yeah. got to be it. Never mind. <laughs> the players know that. Yes, we do. What would you pick? So I think this is kind of covered in the player's guide, if I remember correctly, right? Where they're like, hobgoblin technically is something you can pick. You probably shouldn't because that'll be kind of difficult. Yeah. But... No, but I think, I think he's saying like still- if you came if you came at the AP from the opposite direction. So if you came from at the AP as if you're like an invader? soldiers from Mul- yeah. Multhoon. Oh. So we all like instead of all being lashies, we're all hobgoblins doing the opposite. Mm. Okay. So I'll start. I don't know. You know what? I kind of do. So I would probably even though I've kind of already done this already, I would like to take the like Durin Rook approach to this. I want to do like a like a military hobgoblin dude because I think that's kind of how their culture is described in second edition. They're they're very regimented, they're very lawful. I think I would enjoy doing that and leaning into the like order and the discipline. What that translates to class and background and stuff, I'm not quite too sure yet. But you know, Haley and I are somewhat on opposite ends of the spectrum where she likes very chaotic characters and I usually gravitate towards neutral, but my characters usually play closer to lawful. So I, I think I could do like the cultural personality of Hobgoblins pretty easily. Tim? Yeah, definitely. Along those lines, I think for the same reasons, I would pick like a Hobgoblin wizard that plays into the tactical nature of war <laughs> and like basically is using his spells to set up whole battlefield control type situations. I think that would be a really fun character to play. Just like a military wizard. Uh, very lawful and uh, yeah, strategic. Because hobgoblins are quite intelligent as well, if I remember right. Yes. So they, they play well into alchemists and wizards. Griff? The hobgoblins have an amazing feat chain for Intimidate. So I would be a... Um, Hobgoblin tyrant champion with the uh, martial dedication. I'd Ooh. lean heavy into the charisma skills. I'd use a whip as my weapon, and so I'd be kind of like the charisma whip, the like charisma debuff, the whip to get ranged reprisal, and the whip to you know combat maneuver stuff on the battlefield. So like being the melee maneuver plus the charisma debuff. That rocks. And then, like, obviously, charisma buff with the martial dedication as well. Hell yeah. All right. Well, I think that wraps up the listener questions for today. I've got a couple moments of wrap up in housekeeping that I'd like to do before we say goodbye today. Um, a couple of these announcements are going to be repeat announcements from the last or, or time before that uh, episode of Zone of Truth. But just a reminder, that Malevolence is wrapping up soon. The final episode has been recorded. The adventure is done. It is in the books. That is going to be episode 33, which drops on May the 2nd. That means that it's only two weeks after that, May the 16th, that Speak With Plants premieres. So all of this cool stuff that we've been talking about the last hour or so, that is happening. And as of recording and this episode drops, that is less than a month away. So 
How exciting is that? I'm ready to rock and roll. The next thing that I want to mention again is that HLP absolutely is going to have a presence at Origins. We know that our friends from STF are going to be here. I think I remember hearing that Jason from 25 North is going to be making an appearance. We are sure going to be putting together some sort of meetup or whatever. Just stay tuned. We haven't planned or announced that yet, but we absolutely will. And Columbus Origins is running Wednesday, June 21st through Sunday, June 25th. I got a couple more things to talk about and then we'll wrap up here. Griff, you have been a guest on the STF show for uh, or STF and friends. This is Redshift Rally, the Redshift Rally arc that is completed. Now you can check out the entire thing in the audio feed from their Patreon or check out their YouTube page. You also did an epilogue episode in the Tom Talks format where you talked about the adventure composition, some of the stuff that was happening. So you could listen to the whole damn adventure and then the wrap up conclusion, like what y'all think coming out of that. I've listened to the whole damn thing. It's super fun. You all should as well. And then finally, nothing solid to announce here, but Griff and I have been talking with a friend of the show and we're going to be doing a couple guest spots on a show that we're friends with soon, but we can't announce it yet. We will shortly. It's going to be very exciting. We will definitely keep you posted on that. But I think that pretty much wraps us up for today. Tim, you've been a phenomenal guest as always. I am so excited to record the first couple episodes of Speak With Plants next weekend when we get together and then they're going to be dropping May 16th. Thank you so much for coming on the show. This has been an absolute delight. Yeah, thanks, Tim. Thanks for having me. Can't wait to get started. Hell yes, man. Well, is there anything that you want to say to the people at home? Guys, look out for this AP. It's going to be killer and not because I'm on it, because of the other stellar players we have and Haley as a GM. Always a great time. So I'm looking forward to it and I'm honored to be a part of this crew. So thank you so much, guys. Fantastic. Well, Tim, you have succeeded. You're well saved. You made it out of the zone of truth. Griff, what do you got for him? I need you guys to finish your drinks because we'll see you in two weeks. Later. Later.